Hello and thanks for listening to, or at the very least, downloading the latest Dairy Dialogue podcast, as we're almost halfway through March. Crazy weather here in the northern part of Great Britain, high winds and new lakes and rivers popping up everywhere. One of these days they probably aren't going to be temporary, but this week we're not talking about climate change, we're talking about a variety of things, including filler caps with US headquartered company Fog Filler, We'll hear about the latest ice cream product from Franeri, the ice cream joint venture set up in 2016 by Nestle and R&R. And we'll have a look at some trends in the ice cream industry with Babu Gelato. And we'll have a weekly look at the global dairy market with INTL FC Stone's Liam Fenton. It feels a little odd to be in my office this week and not actually going anywhere else next week. I believe the next major event I'll be headed to is Vita Foods in Geneva in May, where you can never predict the weather at that time of year. On the bright side, I'll be able to indulge in one of my other passions, football, also known as soccer, because for a change, there's a game on in Geneva while I'm there, and hopefully it won't be freezing cold. The last time I went to a game there, I thought I got the wrong night because half an hour from the start, I think I was the only person in the stadium. In spite of not going to an event, we will probably have an event roundup for you next week, not from my visit to windy but beautiful Warsaw, but from Expo West in Anaheim, California, where our US reporter Beth Newhart spent a few days last week. So we should have that for you next week and perhaps Poland the week after, but we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves there as anything could happen in between. Of course, if you do have some news that you think would fit well in this podcast, then please feel free to get in touch with us. You can do that through our website, dairyreporter.com. And as you would know, if you're a regular listener, the interviews are relatively short, so the entire process of being interviewed is quite painless. Unless, of course, you drop the phone on your foot. Might sound funny, but I've done that several times, and it's always without shoes on, and it's always corner first. And it hurts. But enough of me being accident-prone since birth, let's move on with the first feature today, and it's with Michigan-based company Fog Filler. The company designs and manufactures, among other things, rotary filling systems for the liquids industry, and has made several improvements to its VSE cap sorters, which is definitely of relevance to the dairy industry. I spoke with Jay Lanyans, the Midwest sales representative for Fog and asked him first for a little bit of background about the company. Well, Jim, yeah, we're a 60-year-old company, and uh, we cut our teeth in the dairy industry. Uh, started out with the change from glass to plastic containers, and the originator, Clyde Fogg, had developed a valve that would allow us to gravity fill plastic containers uh, as opposed to vacuum. Um, from there, we went and started designing our own fillers, as well as rebuilding and to our current standards uh, of 3A machines, anywhere from you know 20 gallons a minute all the way to 300 a minute. And what kind of products would you have that are specifically used for the dairy industry? Fillers, cappers, uh, and with the UHT milk out, some rinsing and sterilizing technology for not only the bottles, but as well as the caps. Have you seen many changes in the last few years? Because obviously one of the biggest buzzwords lately is sustainability and there seems to be a, a war on plastic. Have you seen any any changes in the last little while? 
I have. In fact, a lot of what we're seeing is uh, the reduction of the amount of plastic within the container um, down into the low 50, 50 plus grams, which has its challenges in filling because the bottle is no longer a bottle. It's more of a bag than a bottle. And there's been some challenges along the way to, to fill those and not have them spill and splash and, and, and waste any product. And, and the the products that you make, have there had to have been any changes made to any of those because of environmental concerns? Yes. Uh, in fact, we try to, you know, re reuse any sterilizer when we when we sanitize bottles. Our, our products in general are built very robust, where that they're not a throwaway. Everything is rebuildable. Instead of having a machine that would, you know, 10, 15 years is worn out and, and you would throw it away, we are on the opposite end where it can be completely rebuilt and to get... Uh, 25 to 50 years out of our machines is not unheard of. Not much repeat business then. You obviously sell something to somebody and they don't need another one. That is probably our biggest downfall is that we <laughs> build such a robust and high quality machine that uh, it's hard to get them another one. And we can only hope that their, their business grows and that they have room for um, increased productivity down the road. Do you sell just within the U.S. or is it global? We are global. Yeah, we, we cover the U.S. as probably our main I would say a good 90% of our business. However, uh, we do have items in the UK, Saudi Arabia, Australia. The press release that came out was on the filler cap sorter upgrades. Could you tell me a little bit about what the improvements have been to the cap sorting? Everything we build in general, uh, we try to add anywhere from 1 to 12 different new ideas. So we're not completely redesigning a machine. And at the same time, we try to make them plug and play. So if you have current equipment, that it can be upgraded. One of them is a dual shoot option on our new VSE sorters that in the past to switch from one cap size to, the, to another would require uh, anywhere from a half hour to 45 minutes of a changeover time. With our new dual shoot options, um, with a touch of a button, uh, we can switch it over and reduce the amount of maintenance time and, and mechanical time to, to change over. You know, if I can save you a half hour to 45 minutes a day, every day for the rest of your life, that's a really good time saver and a, and a good return on your investment. Another one that we have is in the event with uh, sorting equipment, not just ours, but as well as our competitors, if there's any uh, backward caps that do happen to make it through, uh, normally we'll stop a machine and now your production is at zero, where we have an ejector that will remove those backward caps and, and eliminate those stoppages to increase productivity as well, uh, to give you another, again, another half hour to 45 minutes a day. You know, now we're up to an hour a day we're giving you every day. It's just these little things that add up along the way, especially in high production scenarios. Downtime is the, the big enemy of most producers. It, it is, and as a whole, and, and Fog as a company, we look at uptime as kind of mandatory. Uh, that downtime is, is, is nothing that we want for any one of our customers. Um, and when we try to give them the largest amount of uptime we possibly can. With that, some of the other additional items that we've added to our sorting equipment is in the past we've had standard stainless steel control panels that have had flat tops on them. And with the increased sanitation requirements with 3A and, and FISMA and HACCP, we now have all slope top control panels just to be able to do be washable as well as not having a flat surface that can trap dust and, and particulates that could eventually end up in caps or into products. Just little things like that that we try to add and change and keep up with and always improving our, our technology. Mm. 
Is, is this something where the producers can do a lot of the maintenance themselves, or do you have to go out and make changes for them if there's ever an issue? No, we, we do either way. A lot of companies have the talent to be able to do a lot of these upgrades themselves. And, and for the most part, they are very simple. If you can do brakes on your car, you'd have no problem doing the majority of these upgrades to your own current equipment. However, our service department is always uh, readily available to come out and take care of it as well. And I assume that you can also talk people through things on the on the phone and with smartphones these days, you can see what the issues are as well. That is correct. And uh, our service department enjoys working with the customer over the phone to help save them that money and the time and, and to get it up and keep the uptime going. And, and you said that you're always coming up with new things. Is that on a continual basis for all of your products? Yeah, throughout our rinsing, filling, and capping technologies, uh, like I said, there's usually 1 to 12 improvements on each piece as it leaves here, and it's never-ending. And, and, you know, I'd like to say that every one of them works out, but there is one or two here that a customer may or may not like, but it, because they are such small changes and incremental, they're always reversible, so we can revert back to what we know and what we know works well without leaving a customer stuck in a pinch with something that's not working properly for them. So you must have quite a, an impressive research and development department then. We do indeed. Uh, the stuff they come up with is, is amazing. Every day they surprise me. And you have to incorporate all of that into the products and then go out and uh, pass the news on to the customers, I guess. This is true. And however, a lot of the ideas, not just from our R&D department, but also from our customers, they tend to drive us in the directions that we choose where they have a struggle or a particular issue, and they look to FOG as, as a company that can find a, a resolution to their issue. And we enjoy the challenges, and yet at the same time, we learn, they learn, and overall we end up with a better piece of equipment. You would be able to help out with other questions as well that might not necessarily re relate to your own products? Yeah, that is correct, and, and we, we try to be, you know, from a service-oriented aspect, not just a business, but a friend and anybody that you can ask questions or referrals of what have you seen and share our technologies and other customers, other companies that we've worked with. The dairy industry is normally kind of tight-lipped as far as sharing their technologies. So a lot of customers look to us to get the information they need to point them in the right direction. Kind of pointless me asking what your next upgrade is because it seems like it's pretty constant. I guess an easy way to kind of point you in the direction of our thinking is what we call our four T's. Anything we design, we try to design it around, number one, no tools, so that an operator can replace this without needing a maintenance crew and can easily take care of a situation without tools. The other thing is with a changeover, going from, say, a half gallon to a gallon or a pint, the changeover times are reduced in time, so that's our second T is, is very little time. The other thing is talent. You know, you don't need a college degree to be able to do these changeovers and to work on these fillers. That is very simple where we've been in the plants where I've had the accountant rebuild a valve right in front of the whole team. And that's a, you know, an easy way to prove how simple our machines can be. And then our fourth T is no tweaking. Uh, the worst part of a changeover is getting it all in there and then having to spend an hour or two to try to fine tune it. Ours are more or less plug and play. Uh, all the parts are poke yokes, so each piece fits only in its specific location. And when the changeover is complete, it's as simple as hitting the start button. There is no tweaking involved. Are there any other things that you have at the company that you could tell us about related to the dairy industry? 
one of the other items our R&D department has developed is a defoamer, which if you run into some skim milk and certain products, chocolate milk, eggnog, they tend to foam up quite a bit, and, and customers have had seen this. It's coming down the side of their bowl, contaminating the exterior surfaces of their, of their bottles, and this will draw off that foam and remove it so it's not contaminating the products. And as simple as it is, uh, it, it is it's a very kind of little innovative machine that takes care of a problem, and we've provided a solution for it. Next, we're in the UK for news of a new premium ice cream launch in several countries from Franeri, which is the third biggest ice cream company in the world and is a JV between Nestle and R&R. The new product, which I got to see firsthand at the Ice Cream Expo in Harrogate last month, is called Nui. And rather than me explain what the new products are, I will leave that to Phil Griffin, Franeri Group Head of Sales. Although the first thing I asked was how the JV has been doing since its launch in 2016. Yeah, it's, it's been going really well. So the business is, is exceeding its targets. It's growing and taking market share. So um, we're very pleased with, with, with things as, as they stand. It's been a pretty rapid integration. And uh, we're really focused now on, on taking some big steps with product launches. Of course, Franeri is the JV name, but not necessarily one that consumers would recognise. Not many people have heard of Franeri outside of sort of foods and consumer goods, and it's not it's not a consumer brand as such. It's very much a, a business brand. The, the brands we push are, are, are on behalf of our licensed partners and, and some of our own brands, so the likes of Oreo, Fruit Pastel, Kit Kat. You know, they're the consumer facing side side to the business. But I think Freneri exists as a brand really about the service we provide to our customers and, and our licensed partners and the brand stands for something there in terms of quality and state-of-the-art facilities and investment so that's what the brand Freneri represents. And, and I guess you have a new launch? Yeah so we're launching Nui, we're looking to enter the premium stick segment which is the fastest growing segment so we have a, a brand in australia called connoisseur which has done really well over there very successful for us over the last three or four years it's taking that learning and and sort of cross-pollinating it into europe so we, we've come up with a brand nui which which is inspired from um sort of south pacific island culture it's really about pushing as far as we can in premium sticks to bring excitement and some exotic ingredients and tapping into that need of people to go and explore and travel and discover new things. So we're, we're really excited about it. We've invested significantly behind it, both from a CapEx perspective, but also we're going to invest significantly behind the marketing of it. We're spending somewhere in the region of $35 million across the marketing and the capital assets required to manufacture and you mentioned the big the big spend obviously that would now didn't used to but it would now obviously include social media that's a big become a big portion of advertising yeah particularly um to a younger generation that's probably the primary means for making them aware of the product and, and getting them as excited so it, we will be investing in in traditional media with tv and billboards and, and where is it being launched 
Um, so it's being launched in Western Europe, so it's, it's going into the UK, Spain, Portugal, France, Italy, Germany and Austria as in the first wave. And then um, if successful, we'll continue to roll it out. And obviously when you're naming a new product, it's, it's okay when it's in just one country, but significant differences exist between languages. How, how much of a concern was that when you were obviously launching into countries with different languages? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question because obviously the Connoisseur brand in Australia, that's why we didn't lift the name from there because when we tested that name in in different countries, it it didn't have the same resonance it has in Australia. So we've tested a number of ideas with consumers and Nui really delivered what we were looking for, which was that people sort of understood roughly where it was from and what it meant. It sounded exotic and it represented that feeling of travel and exploration. How many variants are there? There are currently a number of flavours available. We've got the salted caramel and Australian macadamia. We've got a, a dark chocolate and Nordic berries, a cookies and Idaho Valley mint, an almond and Java vanilla, and then we've got a peanut butter and Canadian maple syrup. We've got a couple of, of other variants that, that are in the pipeline as well. The other thing that I would say about the product is that they're all made with dairy ingredients so that we've really gone for a high quality product and the contents stand out there's quite a quite a distinction there yeah we've gone for definitely for the exotic ingredients that we feel are the, are the finest ingredients and we've used our developers to really get into each product and and try and make it the best product it can possibly be they're all real chocolate dairy based ice cream with you know that exotic twist that allows people to then imagine that you know it takes them to a different place obviously it sounds like it's premium quality what about the pricing it will be a slight premium but it's not it's not positioned to be inaccessible no more expensive than than you would expect to pay for a, a good quality ice cream of course you have products other than Nui are there innovations going on with the other brands as well we've got a really broad portfolio so we'll have innovation with under Oreo and Milka and Dime, Cadbury's, for example. All of those brands will have, have their own innovation pipeline um, and, and we'll look to bring products to market and, and keep the portfolio exciting and relevant. Okay. Um, MPD's pretty big in ice cream. Probably about 15% of sales come from MPD each year. So we'll have a pretty broad offering every year for consumers. And do you have to have regional variations to account for taste or it's just the same right across the board? We've developed a a suite of products with different flavours and then it's up to the individual countries to draw from that mix of products which, which are the right ones for their market. Staying in the UK, Annie Hanbury runs Baboo Gelato in the beautiful southwest of the country, a place that seems to get better weather than most of the UK and is a tourist destination for much of the year. And good weather plus tourists means more ice cream and gelato sales. And multi-award winner Annie knows more than a thing or two about not only making ice cream and gelato, but the trends and some of the interesting flavours that do well in the sector. I started by asking Annie what the most important factor is with her products. I mean, we're really about flavour, making really good flavour, traditional flavours really well. Uh, But we do like to work with customers, and if chefs want a particular flavour made, we will work with them. 
but I mean, we will not make it if it doesn't taste good. The avocado and bacon flavor or the um, hay, something in hay, uh, it's, we're more interested in making really good tasting ice cream. Yeah, but it's interesting to, to learn a bit more about how how those particular flavors are developed and how you come up with something different because obviously strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, banana, they're quite ubiquitous. And then when it comes to well, other flavors... Well, they're only ubiquitous if you're using pastes. I mean, the fact is that we, we make um, our ice cream with ingredients from scratch. So everything is 100% fresh, pureed fruit and seasonal fruit. And so they really taste of the fruit, whereas a lot of the ice cream that you buy is flavored with paste and then that's a, then they're not particularly interesting and then and it's just interesting to see people when they taste our ice cream how they're excited by how it's a real flavor proper intense real flavor how, how do you come up with the with the flavors obviously the the standard ones are things that people would be looking for in, in general but how do you come up with different flavors well, as I said, often chefs come and say that they're making a certain dish and would like something to go with it. Or, for instance, there's a bed and breakfast in Lyme Regis called Dorset House, and they win lots of awards, and they wanted to do something different for their breakfast. And so they asked me whether I would make eggs and bacon ice cream. And I said, absolutely not, because that sounded absolutely horrible. But I said I could do something breakfast-themed, and so I tried toast and marmalade, and that's worked very well and they were very happy with that um, but they were still pushing for something more another flavor and so then I thought about how you have this is the American maple with bacon so I've made a maple ice cream with candied bacon pieces that's probably as outlandish as I will go so um, so that's how the sort of the ideas come up or River Cottage have asked, uh, asked us to make a cardamom flavored ice cream so we did we worked on that and then obviously it's just, you know, traveling and, and eating a lot and tasting different flavors and you just think of different flavor combinations that you think might be, might work. We've got an ice cream which is fennel and orange, which are just two flavors that I think I had in a pudding somewhere and I just thought that they tasted very, very well together. So then I, I worked that out into an ice cream flavor. Is it just, when you come up with a flavor like that, is it just trial and error in terms of the yeah. amounts that you use? Oh, yeah, yeah, you just have to you have to just keep trying. Clearly, there must be failures along the way as well, things that don't quite work that you think might. Absolutely, absolutely. And the thing, the trouble is that everybody has their own taste. And um, so some people say that they absolutely adore something and other people think it's disgusting. So, so you have to have quite a wide range of people to get to taste these things to see what they all think. Do you think that people's tastes and the, their willingness to try new flavors has grown? Well, actually, what we find is that a lot of people will come to our kiosks and say, what, what's your special flavor? What have you got that's exciting? And you'll tell them, they go, oh, that sounds really interesting, but I'll have a vanilla, please. You know, they all like the idea of these mad outlandish flavors and they want to see them. But in the end, they always do go back to the staples. You know, vanilla and salted caramel are still by far our biggest sellers. So, so when you when you make the more unique flavors, are, are those ones that you would just run for a limited time? Yeah, they would definitely be. They would just be. You would just do one of those at a time, uh, and it is just a, a an interest peaking thing, uh, unless it's for restaurants who've actually specifically asked for it. 
you go back 20, 30 years and the number of flavors that you could find in ice cream shops around the country was extremely limited. And now it really isn't. How, what do you attribute that growth to? People are much more adventurous and ingredients are much more available, which they hadn't been before. People know more about them. And there is this constant drive for innovation. You know, every time there's a new flavoring that gets, you know, the Tonka bean was a big thing. And um, I think matcha is supposed to be the big thing. And we go to a, a big trade show in Italy every year called Sidjep. It's a huge, I think, 200,000 people go there and they will there they have big the big flavor houses they show all their flavors and um, there'll always be one flavor that seems to be the one for the year and one year it was pistachio which is not particularly exciting because everybody's had pistachio for years but now more and more people are producing very good pistachio paste um, but then there'll be rice pudding or panettone and you know every year there's a new flavor Unfortunately, most of those flavor houses do them artificially. So, but when you ha when you have that trend, then you come back and you try and work out how to make it without any artificial flavors. And and obviously, as you you mentioned, the the UK market would be very different from the Italian market, which would be different in turn from a, a, some other nations' markets. So, so it's a case really of of tapping into what you think will will work within that particular market. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference in what people will like here. I mean, people seem tend to like a lot sweeter things here. But it's also that, you know, the world of, of ice cream is changing a lot. And now more and more flavors are being offered in ice cream shops. Whereas before, it, they were quite limited, the number of ice flavors that were being offered. So now a lot of people think that if they can offer 20, 24 flavors, that they'll attract more customers, which they will. But I always wonder whether how fresh the ice cream is that's been if you've got if you can have twenty four flavors out at one time. I personally think that fewer flavors well done is better than a really long menu of flavors that may not be quite so well done. Just going back for a second to some of those more unusual flavors in terms yeah. of the, the the when you mentioned toast and marmalade, I, I can imagine that you for, for marmalade obviously you would use sort of a sweet orange but when you include something a little bit different like toast obviously would you how would you recreate something like that in an ice cream well first of all the marmalade is actual marmalade that we make so that's yes yeah, so that's easy but uh, the toast we take bread and we crumb it make it breadcrumbs out of it and then we actually mix it with sugar and butter so we sort of caramelize it so you have these caramelized crumbs of toast and they then get put into the ice cream after it's been made and then you have a ripple of marmalade going through it. Yeah, it's it's quite um, the innovation when you start to get into some of these flavors. There's quite a lot of almost science goes into it. Well, I mean, the making of ice cream is scientific, so you have to be very careful how you balance your recipes to make sure you've got the right, right amount of sugar and the right amount of fat and the right amount of water to solids, because if you get that those ratios wrong, then your ice cream doesn't come out when, with the right consistency you have to put together a sort of calculation before you even make the ice cream okay. i mean the other thing we do is we make things like for easter we'll make um hot cross bun ice cream or uh christmas time gingerbread ice cream where you are actually incorporating hot cross buns into the cream ice cream base to make your ice cream so it's rather than having chunks of hot cross bun it's a it's a smooth ice cream but that tastes very much like a hot cross bun
I would assume that people look out for those seasonal variations. Yeah, no, create. they love they love them. Yeah. And, and how often would do you try and do those for every occasion, or just just some of them? So we work very seasonally, and any flavour that we do will be correspond to the season. So right now we've got rhubarb from Yorkshire, and um, so we're making rhubarb sorbet. And for Easter we'll do the hot cross buns. And then in the summer, you've got all the soft fruit that comes through. So we sort of concentrate on those rather than other flavors. So it's all about fruit in the summer. At Halloween, we did spiced pumpkin. And at Christmas time, we'll have brandy flavor and a brandy ice cream and gingerbread and Christmas pudding. What do you think the trends are within ice cream right now? Well, I mean, I think at the moment, there's a lot of focus on vegan uh, vegan-friendly ice cream, making ice creams that are like ice cream, but not because we make sorbets and we make um, ice cream, and we always offer vegans the sorbets. But they do get, they do want to have an ice cream that is vegan-friendly and therefore that sort of creaminess. It's very expensive to make. Um, nut milks are obviously more expensive than dairy milk. And and um, what, how many uh, how many outlets do you have for your ice creams? Well, we have at the moment, we have two kiosks, one in Lyme Readers and one in West Bay. We're about to open a third. And then otherwise, we sell to a lot of restaurants and um, farm shops and so on. And now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTLFC Stone. Butter found some support in futures this week uh, despite continuing fine weather which is viewed as a positive for milk supply and, and dust cream supply which should keep butter uh, under pressure. But it seems a lot of end users have been scarred by the last two years uh, where butter and uh, its exuberant prices have put them shy and as a result are looking to get some cover in place. Uh, so s- despite spot butter trading uh, sub 4,000 level, uh, quarter three is up about 50 to 75 euros on the week. Uh, to the 4400 level and continues to enjoy some support. Uh, Gimmel powder on the other hand has been under pressure despite some interest from end users who have been covering more than in the recent past but the sell side interest from processors and trade has outweighed this buying. Quarter two is down about 50 euros a ton on the week to the 1950 level and physical is also under pressure. Whey is still under the 800 level. Thanks Liam, we'll catch up with you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for this Dairy Dialogue. Hope it's tempted you to buy some ice cream, whether it's vanilla, gin and tonic, dark chocolate and Nordic berries, or, as I saw at the Ice Cream Expo, onion, bhaji and spicy mango ripple. No offence, but I think I'll give that one a miss. I do love onion bhajis, and I'm more than willing to experiment with food, but I'm not sure about main courses in dessert form. Next thing you know, it'll be the other way on, and we'll be getting strawberry vanilla potatoes. Anyway, next week we'll bring you some interviews from Expo West, which is not the name of Kanye's latest child. Dairy Reporter spoke with Lifeway, the A2 Milk Company, and some others, and we'll bring you those next time. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.